0: I think like every other ethnic community, it's a very diverse group of people, both politically and ethnically and linguistically um, and religiously. (laughs) So when we say Slavic, even though a lot of times we're talking about people from Russia, Ukraine, Moldova, Belarus, um, the Slavic community traditionally There's so many other Eastern European countries that are Slavic, but places like Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania are not Slavic, but they're Eastern European.
1: Hey, what's going on, everyone? This is Brian Atkinson, the host of the Park Rose Life podcast. Thanks for joining us again. Last episode, I talked with Tracy Prince about the history of indigenous people in the Park Rose and Portland area. And this week, I'm going to talk to Masha Yugorenko about another community in Park Rose, and that's the Slavic community. They're kind of an overlooked group, I think, and sometimes are not very well understood. And she goes over a lot of ways that we can better incorporate and better understand the Slavic community in Park Rose. So let's get to it. All right. I want to welcome to the Park Rose Life podcast, Masha Yugarenko. Hi. Hi. Thanks for joining. This is the first for for the podcast. We're doing it over Zoom. So you're (laughs) you're my first guest that I haven't uh, known before and my first guest I've never met in person.
0: It's definitely an interesting experience.
1: (laughs) Yes. So, Masha is going to talk about the Slavic community in the Park Rose area in Portland a little more broadly. I want to start with an icebreaker. Masha, do you want to, I'm going to try to say some Russian words and I want you to judge me.
0: <laughs> I won't judge you, but I can help you out with some pronunciations or something.
1: But... Okay. And this is, I didn't prepare this. I have, I don't have them in front of me or anything like that. So I'm just going to uh, just go from, from memory. Let's see if I remember any. Uh, Privyet Masha.
0: Привет, очень хорошо, ты молодец.
1: Okay, <laughs> so, so tell, tell our listeners what you just said.
0: I said, um, hello, back to you, because you said hello. And I said, that's really good. You did a really good job. Yeah, good job.
1: Okay, cool. Let's go a little more formal. How about if I say, здравствуйте?
0: Здравствуйте.
1: Is that pretty, now, is that a word that you say, or do you, I've heard people say like, здравствуйте, is is too formal to actually say to people?
0: Uh no, I guess people do shortcuts. They or um is probably less formal. Um but zdrastvuyte is like the long formal way.
1: So it'd be like saying hello instead of hi or hey. Yeah, exactly. Меня Brian.
0: Меня зовут Очень приятно. Oh, All right. Okay. Hey, I'm doing pretty good. I got, she's giving me
1: some nods on the Zoom video. So I'm, I'm doing pretty good on my Russian. I'll take you. Yeah, it.
0: your pronunciation is great. You should, you should be learning. Okay. Okay.
1: Yeah. So, uh, I took Russian in college for two years, but that's been, that's been a while for me. And Russian is a little bit difficult language to learn for English speakers. So mm-hmm. if you take Russian in college, you learn about half what you learn if you take something like Spanish or French in terms mm-hmm. of vocabulary and conversation skills. So it takes a little bit to get going, but I haven't you been in college know. in a while. So <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't used that as much as I had hoped to.
0: And all those cases in Russian grammar.
1: <laughs> yep. Okay. So let's learn a little bit about you before we get into Park Rose and Slavic community. Let's just get to know you. So where did you grow up?
0: So I'm originally from, I'll say the whole which is a small town in Siberia on the lake on the shore of Lake Baikal. Okay. um, Which is the deepest lake in the world. Yes.
1: I was going to say, I think I know that lake from trivia. (laughs) Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, And I immigrated to the United States when I was about nine and a half. I came to Los Angeles from a small town to a huge city like LA.
1: Culture shock on a couple levels maybe.
0: Oh yeah. Um, I didn't speak any English either. Um, my stepfather is American, <laughs> so um, that's how we immigrated here. My parents met in China, border between Russia and China, um, Manchuria specifically. So um, there is a lot of history there. And wow. I, I, I've studied Chinese for a while now. So I've spent some time there as well. But um, I grew up for the other latter part of my life in Los Angeles. Um, I went to Venice High School like I said and I came to Portland for college um, about seven, eight years ago <laughs> I' remembering you.
1: Awesome well, thanks for that snapshot. That's a great overview and uh, maybe when we chat later off the record I'm curious to hear more about your family history. Mm-hmm. but let's uh, get a little bit more current. So you moved to Portland about seven or eight years ago. What have you learned about the Slavic community specifically in Portland since you've lived here?
0: Well, Oregon is, you know, um, Russian is the third most spoken language in Oregon, which was a real shock to me. I haven't heard about that when I was living in California and I thought, you know, Los Angeles was a huge Russian population or New York, somewhere like Oregon was definitely shocking for me.
1: Were you, was that a pleasant surprise for you? or?
0: Yeah, it was. Um, when I was in college, I didn't make it out into the city as much, but post-college it was really nice. Cause a lot of my coworkers are from Slavic or like former Soviet Union countries. And there's a lot of connection. There's a lot of Russian stores and I can go get my favorite food there.
1: That's awesome. So, yeah. So, so I think for a lot of Portland people who aren't very familiar with the Slavic community, we do see that driving around Russian stores, Russian, or, and I'm saying Russian Slavic in general, um, churches and people, but a lot of us don't really know, like, why did so many Slavic people end up here specifically? Um, are there a few different reasons why Oregon, Portland area has a lot of
0: Slavic community people? Yeah. I mean, history is really um, much longer than I learned previously. So I think um, some of the first letters, I think they were called like Molokans. Um, they came through Alaska, uh, Washington, Canada, Oregon, into California. So those were kind of like the first ones. And that was like in the 1800s, 1700s. Um, and then later migration happened, you know, um, during some post revolution, um, Russian Revolution, the early 1900s. So early 1900s, and then later on, um, there were some other waves of immigration, probably the most started to come maybe like starting 60s. And there's the Russian old believers, who were, um, they came from Turkey and China through South America. Um, Some of them born and raised in South America and speak Spanish. Those are groups of people who
1: had already left Russia.
0: Like 300 years ago. Yeah, so they speak and they write still in Church Slavonic. Um I mean they don't speak in Church Slav- Slavonic but they um um they dress and the traditions are from back in 1700s Russia. Um and some of them come with the, the other languages and cultures like in China or Turkey and so a lot of those settled in Woodburn um w- Woodburn and Haverhill, right? Um, and then, obviously, that the, um, during the 80s, maybe since before that, because of the Perestroika in, in the Soviet Union, there was a lot more freedom for people to leave um, the country, emigrate the Soviet Union, and immigrate to other places in the world. So since there was already um, some network, a lot of them were religious networks in Oregon, um and other parts of the united, united states um, a lot of them kind of came here in the 80s and took advantage of that emigration policy in the soviet union
1: okay so what you're saying is in in the 80s the soviet union changed their legal policy that enabled more people to leave Correct. and it sounds like particularly certain religious groups were were the most eager to leave
0: Right, right. Or among
1: among the most eager to Right, right.
0: Yeah, good point. And um, a lot of the emigres from the Soviet Union in the 80s were evangelical Christians or religious groups that were persecuted by the Soviet government or Soviet regime. And um, after these families were established, well-established in Oregon... Um, later their families came and that's where the new waves of immigration you see in the 90s and 2000s and up to now is that reunification with families. And yeah. Yeah. That's um, great. So. so a lot of
1: family has come in subsequent decades, subsequent generations.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I think a lot of people that I've talked to think that they see like a Russian or, or Slavic people participating in church and they assume Russian Orthodox, because probably I think just because that religious title has the word Russian in it. And so they say, oh, Russian people, church, they must be Russian Orthodox. But Mm -hmm. I pulled up uh, an article in prepping for this chat that echoes a lot of what you just told me that a lot of the groups here, um, Russian and Ukrainian folks, of course, Baptist, Pentecostal, Seventh-day Adventists, and they're one of the largest refugee groups in Oregon. And right, that right. Oregon and Washington had the largest migration of former Soviet Union people from 1990 up until 2005 <laughs> in the U.S. So there, <laughs> this was a big landing group. Do you think that the fact that our climate is similar to some parts of the former Soviet Union is a factor in why people choose to move here? Or is it similar?
0: It depends on <laughs> <at> where. Yeah, <laughs> it's a big, big, it's big idea, area. Area, Right. Yeah. Um, I think... I mean, part of what true people here is is um, maybe previous networks and establishments. Um, but I do think that the greenery adds to that um, desire to be somewhere.
1: And that, you, something you just alluded to. So there were some some different networks and organizations that helped sponsor people to come here and that's something that we could, that uh, our listeners could look up and read a little bit more about, but basically some of these church denominations that we're practicing in Oregon help uh, provide some finances for people still in Russia and the former Soviet Union to come over. Is that a basic summary of how that went, would you say?
0: Um, I haven't met anyone who's gone through that type of story. I know a majority of the people that I work with in my job um, just had a refugee status that um immigrated just uh, as a refugee. Um, I think there's definitely the network of churches and especially with the reunification of families. Um, I think churches could play a role in that. But in terms of sponsorship, I don't know how that works. I wish I wish I did.
1: Yeah, that's a totally okay. I think w- one thing that that highlights is that, of course, not every person, not every Slavic person in the Portland area has a similar family story. Some people came here in the seventies. Some came here three years ago and for different reasons and their families practice different religions or no religion, uh, which I think people are listening are probably saying, well, yeah, duh, of course. But there are times when you don't know that much about a group that you make assumptions or you just have a, an idea that might be incorrect. Right. And there's of course a a wide range of why people chose to come here and how they, how they got here.
0: Yeah, And um, going back to that point that most, I think, people who identify under the Slavic community are refugees in in Portland and in Oregon. And I believe the Slavic is the second largest refugee community in Oregon, maybe the first one in the Portland area.
1: Yeah, so that would probably be a big surprise to people that they're classified legally as, as refugees. And you touched on the Soviet Union legal policy that allowed people to leave the Soviet Union more easily. And something I read is that The more conservative U.S. government in the maybe '90s or maybe as early as the '80s also changed their policies so that uh, Russian, Christian, and Jewish groups could be classified as refugees, and that continued into the 2000s, even after the Soviet Union ended and probably a lot of that religious persecution subsided on a legal level.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, the Soviet Union completely until uh, elder fell apart. And I guess the growth of religious groups um, in Russia and other former Soviet states um, grew again. Um, and I definitely know that um, people are returning to religion and faith in those countries.
1: So let's bring it to Park Rose and your work. So tell us a little bit about what you do.
0: So thank you for asking. Um, I'm a, what's called a Slavic youth advocate. So I work with youth in Park Rose Middle School. And one of my coworkers works or colleagues works in the high school, but we share clients and youth because a lot of our families kind of uh, are larger and they have siblings in middle school and the high school. And so, and probably elementary school too. I don't work with elementary school students. Um, so I provide services to the students as well as their families. I advocate for students at school, at school level, district level, um, A lot of my clients are also refugees and immigrants, some who didn't speak English when they arrived. So I help them navigate that and sometimes even tutor them. Um, I also help families with basic needs um, and resource navigation in the broader level. So just trying to get more representation of Slavic communities and families in the school and um, advocate when needed
1: it sounds like you wear a lot of hats. It's kind of like a, a one woman wraparound service.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely.
1: Are, you, are your paychecks from Park Rose School District or are they from ERCo?
0: They're from ERCo. We're contract. I mean, yeah, contracted.
1: Got it. That's cool. I like it. It sounds like some really unique community collaboration going on there between the organizations.
0: Yeah, definitely. So you
1: talked about sometimes you're a tutor. Sometimes you help the parents of these students navigate services and and get um, kind of their basic needs met. But you talked about advocacy in the school district. So what are some consistent values or consistent things that these families are hoping that you will advocate for on their behalf?
0: I think definitely language accessibility. Um, a lot of our families speak Russian, Ukrainian, Moldovan, Romanian. Um, it is a very diverse community, both you know ethnically and and linguistically. So having to kind of, I wouldn't say educate, but I would uh, kind of explain what the community carries with it. And um, some of the other things, um, maybe uh, if students are struggling in school for if they have credit transfers from Ukraine or Russia or their home country, there's a lot of Misunderstandings that ha- could happen. So advocating on that level uh, where we make sure that the students are recognized for their work. Um, I think our community a lot of times is also very f- faith-based. Um, so there's some, there could be some misunderstanding, misunderstandings in the schools and certain um I wouldn't say values but maybe values just community values um, which are maybe more faith driven and um, school so there could be sometimes some collisions that you want to that we as advocates have to work through to advocate for our families but also to just mediate that and um, make everybody understand each other so that makes a lot of
1: sense and I want to dive into that a little bit more without getting too controversial or anything could you are any examples coming to mind of a time when a, a family had a an issue with the school district decision or policy based on a on a faith value and how you were able to kind of be the mediator between a family or a student and the school district
0: I in terms of faith one, I can't think of one for myself, but I've uh, one of my colleagues had that experience where um, um, sex education in schools. Um, I think a lot of Slavic families. I think for partly one of the reasons that Soviet Union may not have emphasized that in their education. So a lot of the families and parents come with those values, like sex education <laughs> wasn't quite a thing. I mean, maybe health education but it's also faith again, faith-driven. Um, and a lot of our families may not want their kids to be, um, exposed to those, um, ideas. Um, and it's not even, yeah, it's because they are exposed. It's not so much exposed, but, but potentially to retain their own values and preserve them. Um, And I think that was probably one of the biggest kind of um, conflicts that I've heard in schools. And what happened was sometimes Slavic families pulled their kids out of those classes if they know they're going to talk about a certain subject that their parents are not comfortable with. So they'll pull them out for that day. And then from our perspective, it's like, oh, no, they're missing school. So we have to come in and kind of mediate that. And I know that one of my colleagues created like a, a subgroup of, or like a class um, that was a work more like a workshop that was for those students. So they don't miss school and they're still learning things but they're learning in a way that they're comfortable if that makes sense.
1: I think that makes sense. Did that strike you as a good solution for everyone involved or what was your take on how the school district responded to uh, the family's concern?
0: I think for that moment, that was probably the best solution um, because it's really hard to force those families or those students to just go to those classes. And it's also hard on the teachers, I would think. to be those balancers of culture in the class. So, um, I think an alternative, um, it's not like they're not completely excluded from the class, they'll come back to the class, but maybe the subject's not the most fitting for the community or for that family. So, we'll make an alternative, we'll still do educational things and they'll still be counted as attendance for the school and the families are not unhappy. So
1: that's great. sounds like at least a, a pretty decent I wouldn't I, the word that came to mind was compromise, but it doesn't necessarily sound like a compromise, just a, a solution um, came about. Do you have kind of a wish list for working with Park Rose School District or I'll allow it to be more broad in in public schools in the area in general of of what they could do to better accommodate or. Uh, include Slavic community in policy or just even in engaging in community?
0: Yeah, I think think the community has a lot of needs and I can't speak for a lot of the parts of the community, but I can certainly say that uh, the Slavic community struggles with being invisible and invisibility, whether it's on the school district level or state level or city level. And I think part of the work that we're doing is kind of raising awareness of our community and students, which is a large number of students attend um, a lot of the school districts and um, have more representation and knowing that our families have barriers with language and culture, try to Bring that to the district level so they can make more accommodating policies with language and culture and kind of just have that awareness of the community at large.
1: That's great. this is good. I'll ask you a question that's a little bit more uh, personal in terms of your own social or political opinion so you can address it how you want to. but mm-hmm. do you think that the Slavic community, especially as refugees are not as cared for or that the general portland metro population are less compassionate to slavic refugees than they are other refugee groups
0: um i guess it depends on the community right or the people but i think generally the struggle is for the slavic communities that it gets kind of lumped into the category of white and that may make sense, maybe in the American context, in certain contexts, um, for sure, and I won't deny that. But I think for the community, in order to address some of the issues and maybe challenges that the community is facing, it needs to know where it is or where the community is. So we need to, you know, have numbers. um, And in order to do that, I would need to have, oh, it would be nice to have the Slavic community separate from the white community. Um, I can give you an example. Like when I came to Park Rose <laughs> Middle School and I, I know I'm a Slavic youth advocate and we have presence there as an IRCO organization and we need to recruit students and families. So I would come and I would ask some, someone, maybe the school administrator, if they can give me a list of Slavic students, so I start calling the families and recruiting and asking if they're interested in our program. and I almost can never get that list, whereas maybe other communities um, may eas- easier <laughs> get that access. So I would need to ask if you know the families are Russian speaking, if it, they've have that in the records in the school or Ukrainian speaking. So it makes it a lot more complicated than just saying, you know, Slavic, Eastern European community, that's, here's a list for you. So, um, and again, de-aggregating, we know the the Slavic community from the white community, we would know where our problems are and where we can, where our services need to be in order to serve it better. And to help our community, um, and I think, yeah, yeah, sorry. that's
1: interesting. So on the advocacy level, one of the things you're talking about is you will use the word a new word for me deaggregating, so separating Slavic community from the general white community, so that you can better identify and and. I was going to say target people with with services or even engagement. If if you're asking them to participate on a panel or uh, provide an opportunity for input, that's Mm -hmm. difficult to do if everyone's lumped together, right? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Even if you come into an organization and you don't know anybody and you want to, you know, create a community, it would be nice. We have a Slavic list in IRCO and we get together monthly meetings and we share resources Um, And the community is very united and, well, I wouldn't say united, but very tight and likes to collaborate and help each other. And it's nice to be able to know where our community and where it's spread so that way we can kind of consolidate a bit more to help each other.
1: That would be great. And okay, so I want to pick up on something you just talked about, which is community unification or people feeling kind of a a sense of pride and working together. Mm -hmm. So is there a sense that Slavic community in Portland, even from different nationalities tend to get along well and embrace each other? Or is there sometimes a little bit of uh, either friendly or not so friendly differences uh, between people who maybe speak same language, same or similar languages, but have different nationalities?
0: Yeah, thank you for that question. I think like every other ethnic community, it's a very diverse group of people, both politically and ethnically and linguistically um, and religiously. (laughs) So when we say Slavic, even though a lot of times we're talking about people from Russia, Ukraine, Moldova, Belarus, um, the Slavic community traditionally There's so many other Eastern European countries that are Slavic, but places like Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania are not Slavic, but they're Eastern European. Not considering that we have also people from the Caucasus, Central Asia, and other parts of further East um, who are also kind of under that umbrella because we share a language. A lot of us speak Russian. But yeah, there is definitely there's some unification, maybe through history, through through our history, common history. Um, but in terms of, you know, there's some things that are maybe there's some tension, you know, especially um, there's a pushback against Russian being the dominant language because you know after the fall of the, I'm sorry, the fall of the Soviet Union. Um, countries are reclaiming their identity and their language and their heritage, which is great. And, but sometimes, you know, Russians still use as a dominant, you know, a lot of the kids call each other or other kids call all Slavic and Eastern European, just Russians, which could be problematic for a lot of people. Um, Some people just accept it and don't care, but others are like, wait a second, I'm not Russian, I'm from Belarus. And there could be you know, former political tensions between countries that, come, that are brought here as well.
1: Yeah, I'm glad that you touched on that. And I think that the general American population, we're kind of aware of that as it relates to, I would say Mexican or Latin American heritage mm-hmm. or Hispanic heritage. And even in how I just used two words to describe a similar population shows that people are aware and, of that culture. People say, well, don't just assume someone's Mexican. They might be from Guatemala or another (laughs) part of Latin America, right? But they don't give that same kind of attention or care to people from Slavic community. And I would say more generally, Russian is a more commonly used term than Slavic, Mm -hmm. even if it's used to mean Russian more broadly, which is not really very accurate, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm glad you touched on that, that um, for most Americans... Can't necessarily tell apart a Russian and Ukrainian person by their accent or how they appear.
0: Can you can you
1: typically tell, like, oh, that person's definitely from Ukraine, not Russia?
0: By accent, but um, you know, my last name is Ukrainian. Thought it was (laughs) most Ukrainians would think I'm Ukrainian. Um, even Russians would think I'm Ukrainian. I do have Ukrainian blood and ancestors. Um, I do also have Russian, and you know, we are all we have a lot of intermixing with uh, ethnic groups. So just because your last name is Russian or Ukrainian doesn't mean you're gonna be from Russia or Ukraine. Um, there are Ukrainians who have Russian sounding last names who end more with like OVA at the end, of or for like most people associate Russian sounding names as like Smirnov <laughs> or Popov, um, which the off is often a, russian last name but like Enko, a e n k o is more ukrainian so but not only not you, always you remember
1: that in your listening yeah you you could make a mistake still in the case of masha having being from russian having a ukrainian name but i have <laughs> i have used that uh correctly or at least just, Said, "Oh, your is your family from Ukraine, and people have been. How did you know it was from Ukraine and not Russia? Like, oh, mm-hmm, super mm-hmm. smart!
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So,
1: so a tip if you want to, if you want to at least appear to be knowledgeable about Slavic culture, you can uh, identify the Enko names. <laughs> so, okay, so you touched on how many different nationalities there are within the Slavic umbrella. Talk about. Uh, there's a couple of things I want to ask you about, but one thing that pertains specifically to the Park Rose community is the Slavic." Heritage Festival or Slavic Festival that mm-hmm. has happened a couple of times at Gateway Discovery Park. I think you told me you got to be there one of those times, at least, right? Is that something you're a little bit familiar with?
0: Yeah, I've been there a couple of times, a um, couple of years. And I think it's, really, really, it's a great event. Um, I didn't know about it until a few years living in Portland. And Someone told me, like, hey, there's... I was working on a research project in Lewis and Clark about the Slavic community. And someone mentioned, oh, you should go to the Slavic festival. It's called the Slavic festival it happens in the summer every year. And I think it happens over two days, like over the weekend. And it's a whole day thing. And people, different vendors, like different businesses come. There's food, there's music, performances from different, I don't know, maybe organizations or clubs. Um, and it's also very, they have a car, cool car show as well there. Um, oh yeah. yeah, the cars, yeah. all
1: the lot of cars, right?
0: I think there's, they're like old Soviet cars or yeah. yeah. They
1: look very small compared to modern American cars. <laughs>
0: yeah. 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 Um, 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 and I, what I really like about it is that It kind of gives you a sense that, you know, the Slavic community works in different areas and there's, you know, there's people who work in food business, whether it's medical, um, just different economies, you know, and that type of festival brings them together and brings more collaboration within the community between those businesses, organizations and it gives more kind of a uh, a promotion so that way Slavic people, the common Slavic people living in Portland area know what that they have these things available to them.
1: So, That's great. And you were telling me when we chatted before about a group that you're part of that has a special week or day coming up in the city of Portland. What's that about?
0: Oh, that's right. Thank you for mentioning that. Yes, we did talk about that. So uh, about four years ago, City of Portland and some Slavic employees in the city of Portland organized um, the, the Slavic empowerment team and then they helped organize the event for uh, it's called the proclamation of Slavic and Eastern European Heritage Week. And that happens usually the second week of January is proclaimed by the city of Portland, by Portland mayor um, in city hall as the Slavic and Eastern European European Heritage (laughs) (laughs) and yeah, (laughs) exactly. So we have the Slavic and Eastern European Center that's being developed at IRCO. We call it (laughs) Seek. It's easier. Um, And then after that proclamation, usually IRCO organizes a celebration event and it's a fundraiser for the Slavic and Eastern European Center at IRCO. Um, where it invites the broader Portland community who would like to learn about Eastern European and Slavic culture a bit more. And there's going to be performances and food and maybe a bit more information about the culture.
1: Awesome. Um, um, How can we find that online?
0: So you can visit the IRCO website. It's the, it's it's just IRCO.org. That's
1: dot org. Okay.
0: Correct. And then there's a special tab for the Slavic and Eastern European Center. And there should be some information about the event there. And there's the link to the Facebook page, which will probably have the most updated information about the event. So, so, And there is going to be an auction.
1: Yes. (laughs) Oh, oh, fun. Okay. (laughs) So, Andrew, the show producer, who I'm very uh, thankful for, and I are going to try to get this episode out in lead time for that event, but by the time some of you are listening to this, that the week or the event might be over, but it's still be, if you're interested in learning more about it, I Googled it and you can find, you know, past years resources too. But uh, hopefully some of us will get to engage with, with the 2021 version.
0: Yeah. So it's January 28th at 6 PM and it's going to be broadcasted online, probably through YouTube. So if you don't get the chance, to see it on the 28th you may be able to see a recording okay maybe attend next year's.
1: <laughs> cool well masha this has been great i feel like you've given an encouragement and some insight for people in park rose community of how they can better engage people in the slavic community and an awareness that as leaders as people trying to improve lives and do things that benefit our broader community that we need to be aware of a few cultural differences and one question I want to uh, leave you with is, what do you think, and this uh, well, I'm curious how you're going to answer because it's a big question, but what do you think the Slavic community can contribute? That is something needed in, in Portland, like a, a strength of of the community that we're lacking that uh, they have to offer.
0: Wow. That's a really hard <laughs> question. Yeah. Well, I, I think of the Slavic community as a really hard workers and, um, I think they're very passionate and they're very collective and like to collaborate and work together. So teamwork and, um, they're very hospitable. Uh, we have a huge tradition of hospitality and whether it's food or our culture or music, um, we love having guests over and feeding them, you know. So just small things like this. I think we're a very friendly and hospitable community, and are very hardworking.
1: That's awesome. I've and I have always found all of those things to be true too. So that's great. So, Masha, I didn't prep you for this, but we're going to end with a few rapid-fire questions. <laughs> your Best, um, these are these are rapid fire. What is your favorite food spot in the Park Rose area?
0: Hard question. I live in Southwest. Um,
1: let's uh, let's do this. Do you have a favorite Russian restaurant in the Portland area?
0: There's great, um, you know, the Roman Russian store. I've gone there frequently,
1: it's on the Southeast there, Division
0: mm-hmm. out
1: here, out here in East Portland.
0: Actually, I think is Babushka is further. It's a cafe. It's a little, yeah, I
1: Gresham or Fairview. There's Babushka.
0: Mm-hmm. There's also House of Bread near Irco, and one of my favorite cafes, and I went there this weekend, this past weekend, is Sweet Touch or Sweet Touch in Vancouver. We have a huge population of Slavics in Vancouver. Um, I also really like Any filimeni uh, which is a food cart in Hawthorne Asylum. Um, really good opinion.
1: Nice. Okay. All right. That's a, <laughs> a, a good smattering of choices there. Um, do you have a favorite place to be outside in the Park Rose area or East Portland?
0: I personally love the Park Rose Middle School. Uh, the campus is there. Uh, one of the things I really enjoyed when I worked there is the geese. I think they're geese that fly onto the soccer field and my kids love playing soccer and there's a bunch of poop there all the time, but I love the birds, um, that they land there and there's huge groups of them. I think the schools are really beautiful.
1: Awesome. What is your favorite event in Park Rose community that you've got to be part of or attend?
0: Um, I guess the Slavic festival. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: And where can people, so this is our last one. Where can people connect with you personally or with your, um, I would say, cohort through ERCO?
0: Yeah, I think through ERCO Slavic Center, I work closely and I work directly with the Slavic Center. So
1: awesome. So Google ERCO Slavic Center. Perfect. Masha, thank you so much for your time. This was a joy. I think it's going to be a big benefit to our community. I hope it'll be a resource that we can refer to and Hopefully we'll have a lot um, better integration and more things to celebrate in the Slavic community in Park Rose in years to come.
0: Thanks, Brian and Andrew for hosting me. Thank you.
1: That was awesome talking to Masha. I had a lot of fun. I feel like I learned a lot. And that was a a new one for me, talking to someone I didn't already know. So if you want to come on the show, we have openings. Hit me up on parkroselife.com. And don't forget that on January 28th at 6 p.m. online is when you can check out that Slavic and Eastern European Center celebration, you can just type in S E E C celebration on Google or Facebook. And I bet you'll find all the details you need from that. So thank you everyone for listening. I'm Brian Atkinson. This is Park Rose Life.